0: Church family, thank you for tuning in, whether you're in your home gathering or at home. We uh, love this time to gather to hear God's Word. And even though on the news you still hear about the spread of COVID, I want to tell you that through my research and through talking with people, uh, there's a greater spread, and that has been during this time of quarantine, during this time of COVID, the gospel has been spreading that I'm hearing reports from the field and reports from ministries like the Jesus film. Our friends with Elam, we spent some time with them and they kept sharing story after story of how God is working during this time and the gospel is being spread. Some of you are part of that as well. Uh, Some of you have been forwarding on these messages. Some of you have been talking to neighbors, encouraging them to come to home gatherings. And so I thank you and God is so pleased That we are part of his work during this time in 2020. Uh, Today's message is simple. Um, It's about in the gospel, it is not good news without God. And so we're going to be focusing in on loving God and all that he is and not missing him uh, in this life that we have. And so would you pray with me as we settle in to looking and focusing on our Lord and Savior? Heavenly Father, heaven alone is not enough, but you are enough. When you are with us, despite our circumstances, it's enough. Help us see this truth. Help our neighbors see this truth. Help the world see you as beautiful. Lord, fill us with your your love and your beauty would we overflow as a response so that we could give you glory, all the glory back to you, God, that we could take everything that you're doing in and around us and, and recognize that it's, it's a gift from you and it's, it's for you. Our lives are a gift to us, yes, but our lives are for you and for your glory. And so, Lord, would you use, use this time to glorify you? In Jesus' name, amen. Bye. Okay.
1: Oh,
2: today we'll be looking at Paul's beautiful prayer to the church of Ephesus. So this is Ephesians 1 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord.
3: So this morning, we're continuing in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And after four weeks of looking at this beautiful praise in verse 13 through 14, we're now turning to Paul's prayer in verse 15. And it it really is just a beautiful and theologically rich prayer. And I just want to warn you up front, I'm not even going to do close to the justice that this prayer deserves. I want to just focus in on one particular part of the prayer, which is really, I think, the essence of the prayer in verse 17 And then I wanna connect that verse to uh, something that happened before. So let me read just verse 17 to you again. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So notice what Paul's doing. He's asking on behalf of people who already know God, right, the Ephesians, they already know him, that they might know God even better. He's asking God for a deeper knowledge, a deeper experience and relationship uh, with the Ephesians, that they would experience that in their relationship with God. And I think that's a great prayer, especially for those of us who who have been in the church for a long time and been around God for a long time. The prayer is that we would continue to know Him even more deeply. And the danger for us is we become like that proverbial married couple, and maybe you relate to this as a married couple, but the couple that got married and was excited to get married, and then they started having kids. And for the next 20 years or so, they just became co-workers in the family business of raising kids. And then they enter into that empty nest stage when the final kid moves off to college and the spouses kind of look at each other and go so what now and they end up in counseling together and they talk to the counselor and the counselor says something like you know you guys just need to get to know each other again and one of the spouses might say something like what do you mean we we've lived together for 25 years and we know each other really well and the counselor's like no i, I think there's a there's a fresh journey for you guys to get to know each other again and i think that is really this prayer that Paul has for the Ephesians. I want you to go deeper in your knowledge of God. I want you to get to know him even better. And he's not assuming there's something wrong in their relationship. He just has this longing for them, for something even richer and deeper. And so I want to talk about that prayer this morning. But before I talk about that verse and kind of parse it out, um, I want to say this. This prayer won't make sense. We won't feel a passion for this prayer Unless we believe that God himself is the goal of the gospel. We won't really want to pray this prayer unless we realize that the end game of the gospel is nothing less and nothing more than God himself. That's the goal. He's the goal. And so I want to connect this uh, with a word back in verse 14 that I didn't talk about last week, but that has been sitting with me ever since. And it's the word possession. Possession. Verse 14 says this the Holy Spirit, who is the deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So Paul is saying to the Ephesians, and he would say this to us you are now God's possession, meaning you belong to him, you are his. And I don't know how you feel about the idea of being someone's possession. You know, in some ways, we don't like that. It feels kind of objectifying. It feels like, well, we we like to be our own person, right? We like our autonomy, our freedom. And I think Paul's using this more in a relational sense to say, you're God's possession in the sense of this, you belong to him. You are his. Much in the same way that we would say in a Christian marriage, I think, I would say, I belong to my spouse now, and she belongs to me. Paul's saying, you are God's possession. You belong to him now. And all he's doing there is actually echoing biblical language that began all the way back in the Exodus. And last week we talked about the redemption of the Israelites from slavery. But what I want to say this morning is, what was the goal of God rescuing Israel? What was the goal of their redemption? Well, it was this. His goal ultimately was to rescue them from slavery in order to bring them to himself in order to make them his people. This is how God says it in Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured, and here's our word, possession. So as you look at that verse, what was the ultimate goal of the redemption, of the rescue? It was to bring them to himself to make them his treasured possession and that language is echoed throughout the old covenant you are now my people you are my treasured possession and paul now is echoing that old covenant language here and after these this beautiful praising of god for all these spiritual blessings in verse 3 through 14 all these rich blessings of being chosen by God, being redeemed by Jesus, being sealed by the Spirit, all that we've talked about, the whole point of all of that is ultimately to bring us to himself so that we would be his people, his treasured possession. We would be his people and he would be our God. That's the whole point of all of these blessings. And there are, I think, two massive implications to this idea that we are God's possession, that the goal is that we would belong to him and he would belong to us. The first implication is a weighty one, and it's simple this. It means then you no longer belong to yourself, right? We, we're no longer our own. We belong to God. Again, in these verses, we've talked about how God chose you for himself. First Peter says it this way, You are a chosen people, a people for God's own possession. We talked about how Jesus died for us to purchase us with his own blood so that we're his now. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, You're not your own. You were bought at a price. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Jesus. He purchased you at a great price of his own blood. We talked about how the Holy Spirit sealed us so that we might belong to Him. Again, 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Paul's saying, the Spirit lives in you now. He he owns the place. You are His abode. So in all these ways, we are triply, <laughs> if I can use that word, we triply belong to God. We've been chosen by Him. We've been redeemed by Him. We've been sealed by Him. We are His, and the weighty implication of that is, you don't get to live your life however you want anymore. right? you're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. You don't get to spend your money however you want anymore. You don't get to watch whatever shows you feel like watching. You don't get to spend your time however you you want to spend. You You don't get to treat people however you want, right? You're not your own. You belong to God. We belong to God. And there's weighty implications to that. But the other hand, the other side of that is there's this great Joyous implication, which is this we now belong to God. And the corollary is true, and God now belongs to us. We are His people, and He is our God. The beauty of all of this, the goal of all this, and the implications of all of this is we now have God as our God. Paul describes him in verse 17 as the glorious Father. What we get in the gospel is the glorious father. We get God in all of his glory to experience him, to know him, to enter into relationship with him. That's the implication. It's the greatest news of all of the gospels. You get God. And I don't know if that feels like good news in this moment or not, but the reality is you were made for God. And the deepest longings of your soul are satisfied in God himself. All right. So all that to say, the ultimate goal of the gospel is to belong to God and to get God himself. God himself is the gospel. He's the end game. He's the goal. He's the great treasure at the end of this whole thing. Nothing less and nothing more than God himself. And I say all that, and maybe that's obvious too, but I think in our American culture that a lot of us were raised in the church Uh, Believing a gospel in which actually God himself wasn't the gospel. The gospel was actually just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the core of the gospel. Like we we heard a message that was, hey, you're a sinner and your sins, you know, put you at odds with God. And now you face judgment and condemnation and hell. But Jesus has died in your place. And if you put your faith in him, you can receive forgiveness and there can be no condemnation for you. And that was the essence of the gospel. And we heard that gospel, and we thought, that's awesome. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, and that weight that I carry is gone, and now I have forgiveness. Great. And then we just went on and kept living our lives. (laughs) And we didn't change much. Maybe we started going to church, but it was like, yeah, forgiveness is the gospel. I've got the gospel. Great. Now I can live my life how I want, and I don't have to face the consequences of bad decisions, at least the eternal consequences anymore. But God Himself wasn't the gospel. Forgiveness was the gospel. And so we kind of just kept pursuing the, the same life goals that we had in the, in the beginning. And, and God just became kind of like, um, like that married couple. He became this coworker with us on this project of us pursuing a happy life. Like we want to live a happy life, and God is, is a part of that process. But, but God wasn't the goal. Forgiveness was the goal, and happiness in life was the goal. And when that's the goal, when that's the gospel, then what happens is uh, we don't pursue God himself with, with great passion. And our, our knowledge of God then doesn't grow more deeply over time. It remains shallow. It remains superficial, even distant. Again, like that married couple who are living together but aren't going deeper and deeper In their relationship and I think Paul would say to us if that's the case you're missing the whole point you're missing the whole goal forgiveness is not the gospel right God is the gospel forgiveness is just it just gets you into the door so that you can experience what the goal is which is God himself but he is what your heart longs for he is the one who can truly bring satisfaction And the good news is He has brought you to Himself. You're His possession. He is your God. So pursue the goal of God Himself. So therefore, in light of all of that, that's why this prayer in verse 17, Paul's saying, here's what I want for you. I want you to know God more and more and more because He Himself is what will truly satisfy your souls. I want you to know Him better is the way the NIV puts it. And I think by that, Paul isn't just referring to like, I want you to know more facts about God, though that would be included. But he's saying, no, I want you to know God himself. I want you to experience him as the glorious father that he truly is. I want you to enjoy his presence and his promises in deeper and deeper ways. I think for Paul, you know, God is not like, like a pool is the analogy I was thinking of this week. You know, you look at a pool and you can kind of see the bottom from the top. You can kind of get your hands around. You say, yeah, this looks nice, but I can, I can kind of see the whole thing. That's not who, who Paul, Paul's God is. God is like this, this deep tropical ocean that is full of amazing things. And, and the, the farther you dive, the more there is to see. But you, there's no end to exploring the depths and the beauty and the wonder of who God is. And so Paul is praying for this deeper and deeper experience of God himself. And here's the one main point I want to say about the prayer itself in verse 17. And I'll wrap up with this. It's simply to say this, that what Paul is doing here is offering a prayer, meaning he's praying this. He's not telling them, the Ephesians, to do this. He's actually asking God to do something for the Ephesians, right? That's why it's a prayer. Meaning, he recognizes that this is a deep spiritual work that is ultimately God's work to do. And of course, we play our part in it, but this deep dive into a a deeper knowledge and experience of God ultimately is a spiritual work that God has to do. So I want you to see all the words in verse 17 that, that point to that idea that this is God's work. Look at this, verse 17. I keep asking, right? Asking. He's not telling the Ephesians to do something. He's asking God to do something that only God can do. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you. Right? He's, he's asking for something that they can't create themselves. It has to be given to them. It has to be a gift that they receive. That he may give you the Spirit. <laughs> this is a work Of God's spirit. This is not a work of human flesh. And I love this, the spirit of wisdom and this word I love, the word revelation. That word means to uncover or to unveil. So the image I've always had is is the image of going to a theater, right? And there's a big curtain coming down at the front of the stage. And you can't see what's behind the curtain, what's on the stage. And then at some point at the beginning of the play, the curtain pulls back and it's unveiled. And you get to see, you know, the characters in the set. And of course, in the analogy, what's behind the curtain is the glorious Father. It is God and His goodness and His glory. And it's the Spirit's job to bring about that, that unveiling, the pulling back of the curtain so that we begin to see God in His glory. There's a similar image in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Paul is saying, your heart has eyes and God's spirit needs to shine a light on those eyes so that you can see more fully and more clearly. You don't enlighten your own eyes. Your eyes need to be enlightened by God. All that to say, this is a deep spiritual work. That only God can do. It's this work of giving of His Spirit and unveiling and enlightening that His Spirit can bring about, so that we begin to see God as this glorious Father, and we begin to know begin to know Him more and more. But it is a spiritual work of God's Spirit, and I think it's also worth noting to close this up that it is a spiritual work, and there is a spiritual enemy who would love to stop this work. From happening. And I'm thinking of passages like 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, where Paul says this, the God of this age, that's Satan he's referring to there, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's saying that, the, that there's an enemy at work and he is veiling. Instead of unveiling, he is blinding and veiling. He's trying to pull Pull forward that curtain so that people can't see how truly glorious and great and awesome God is, so that people see God as something that is distant and dim and ordinary and not worth pursuing. And there's a danger for us, even as believers, that we lose sight of the glory of God and that it's exactly like the curtains start to close up and we just kind of go, He's just a reality out there. And so that's why we need prayer. We need God to continue this work of renewal in our hearts so that we long to know Him more, more deeply in our lives. It's a spiritual work that He has to do. And so we pray for that work. We say, God, reveal Yourself to us. Take us deeper and deeper into the knowledge of You, into a relationship with You. And so what we want to do now, having talked about this, we actually want to take some time to actually pray for this. So Mark is going to lead us in a a time of, of prayer, asking God to do a work of renewal in our lives so that we would come to know Him better.
4: Well, we've been observing and learning about this beautiful prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church. And now we want to enter into a prayer for ourselves in that same spirit. The gospel starts with God and the end is God. And as Christians, throughout our lives, we grow towards that end. And that's the prayer, at least. As Paul puts it, growing in wisdom and insight that we might know Him better. Do you long for a deeper experience of God? Are you thirsty for that? If so, that's good, and God will quench that thirst. We can come to Him, And pray for that, for ourselves and for others, as Paul did. And as we give ourselves to Him, we will get to know Him better and better. But what if that longing is not there? What if you're not thirsty? What if your faith and desire for Him is dry? Well, that's a prayer too. You know, there is a prayer that says, Lord, I want to want you. I want to hunger and thirst for you. And God will meet you at that place too. He can give you the spark to light that fire. So wherever you are in this, let's go to God. Bring what you have, your passion, your apathy, whatever it is, He can handle it. And He invites you to come. The great truth that we always need to remind ourselves of is God works for us. Isaiah 64, 4 says, for since the world began, No ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for Him. God is always at work under us, in us, behind us, and we need His work because we can't do this kind of work in our own strength. Another passage along these lines that I love so much is found in Isaiah 46, 4. It says, I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age, I made you, and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. I love that. So let's take a moment to go to him right now in prayer. Father, I am so grateful for your steadfast love for us. As our passion to know you ebbs and flows, you remain faithful. Your love never wavers. It never fails us. Lord, we know you have made us for you, a goal so profoundly glorious and good that you would think we would be completely captured and consumed with a passionate fire for you. But as you know all too well, we often don't have a vision for you that compels us. We often don't have an experience of you that fuels us. So Lord, help us. As Paul prayed, give us wisdom and insight. Enlighten our hearts and minds. Open our eyes, remove the veil, so that we see you for who you are. Draw us to yourself in deep ways. We want to know you more. We want to experience you more. And may our hearts be flooded with light so that we can understand the confident hope you have given to those you have called, your holy people, who are your rich and glorious inheritance. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen.
1: I trust in you for every heartbeat as long. My eyes. Help me to know that You are God. I am not. Remind my soul that You're.
3: We hope that you have been encouraged by this morning's message. And we want to invite you to consider some of the reflection questions that will be on the screen right after this. And we thought, since we were talking about prayer this morning, that we would remind you that every Wednesday morning at 7, we have a Zoom prayer with some of you. And it's been such a rich and wonderful time just lifting up our church, lifting up our needs, lifting up our nation to the Lord. So we want to invite you to that every Wednesday morning. In the Wednesday morning email, there's a link to the Zoom prayer. So join us some, some, some Wednesday at 7am.
4: And let's just end our time with this wonderful benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.
1: Amen.